Texas and College Station, Texas uh, for the most part of the week and uh, come home and thought I would sit back this morning and listen to Brother Caleb and kind of unwind from all the travel and the hustle and the bustle and airports and car rentals and shuttle buses and metropolitan areas. Brother Winkler, they can have all that. I just, I'm kind of just an old country boy and a, kind of a slow pace. It was a little too fast of pace for me. But anyway, I thought, Brother Anson, this morning I would just sit over there and listen to Brother Caleb. And I knew he had been studying on something uh, for a few days. And uh, a little before 6 o'clock this morning, the phone rang. And Brother Caleb was so sick, he couldn't hardly... No fever or anything, but just throwing up and just, man, very sick. And so I had to climb out of bed with all that travel weariness on me and begin to shake myself a little bit. But I did get into the shower and the restroom facilities and all of that before the electric went off. Hallelujah. So that was one advantage, but uh, just several not able to be here this morning. Uh, because of uh, the inconvenience of no electric. And uh, my goodness, we used to not have any electric. I don't remember the days with no electric. Just a little bit in New Mexico, we lived on a homestead that had, didn't have electricity back to it yet. But um, I do know what it's like to not have air conditioning. And... Uh, a lot of sometimes them old cars didn't even have a heater that worked. And uh, but get ready in the heat, sleep in the heat, come to church and worship in the heat. And, uh, you know, but those, those times of inconvenience don't settle very good on our culture and society of today. Hallelujah. So I, I've had a little thought on my mind, and uh, I just have a little booklet here, a little track that I've laid on my desk and I've looked at it a time or two and I don't know, just about a month ago I was going to preach it and service went a different direction and we've had evangelists and visiting ministers and uh, just never had the chance to uh, follow through and teach on that and uh, this morning I would like to have preached on something that would have brought conviction and condemnation and whatever else it had taken for us to grow closer, draw closer to God. But I just, I feel like that this is what I need to talk about this morning. I feel, I feel like in the world that we live in today, it's, it's lacking. And uh, I'm going to go to 1 Samuel 2, and I'm going to drop all the way down to the 22nd verse of 1 Samuel chapter 2. And um, I'll give you just a second to get a hold of that, locate it. But we're living in an age, the track talked about our delinquent age, and I thought delinquent age, and I... I, I thought, well, I'll just, I'll look at that. And th this word delinquent 
it's relating to or the characteristic of people who regularly perform illegal or immoral acts. Another definition in another place that a usually young person who regularly performs illegal or immoral acts. Offending by neglect or violation of duty or of law was the definition of delinquent. The Bible talks about if the foundation be destroyed, what will the righteous do? And when we build anything, whether it's just a little outbuilding or whatever, sometimes maybe the foundation may just be some cinder block and get it on a level surface, and then the foundation of that structure will be the floor, and it'll be the main thing that it's founded on. And uh, you can't just go out there and, and frame up a wall and stand it on the ground. There needs to be a foundation under that to support that. And uh, we've seen houses over the years with had poor foundations and uh, deteriorate. You see, you'll see the roof sag. And you know, why is the roof sag? But if you'll notice the wall, it'll have a dip in the wall, and then you get on down, and you see that there is either a swag in the foundation or the, there's a deterioration of the foundation. I had an older home once and uh, going to remodel it and the, the dining room floor was sagging and uh, the elder Brother Cotton was alive at the time and he came in and helped me and we, we took that flooring all up only to discover that in the day back when they, oh, everybody says they don't build them like they used to, I always say, thank God they don't, because I've got into enough remodel uh, to realize that th their ideology back in the 17, 1800s, early 1900s, wasn't always the best. And uh, they had just took blocks of wood or like a chunk of firewood really if you, that'll help you get a description of that and they stood it on the ground and then that's what they put the stringers on for the main for the for the floor the framing of the floor and subfloor on that well those over years just setting on the ground like that I don't know if it was termites or just moisture but it caused a deterioration in that wood and then that floor just sagged in it all boiled down to one thing the foundation uh, wasn't uh, like it should have been. And so if that's destroyed, what have we got to stand on? And in society today, I, I, I look at our youth and uh, I realize that somewhere, Brother Matherly, the foundation is, there's, and it all comes back to the foundation. Uh, it's been destroyed and we've not built according to this word of God. And uh, so this morning... I'm just going to talk to us about the urgency of, of, of enforcing parental discipline. And uh, I feel like that's needful in this day and this hour that we live in. And uh, all of the killing, the shootings, the, and even on down to teen suicide at an all-time high. What's wrong? What, what's wrong? What's went wrong? Why is it happening? When I was growing up, we had hardship. 
I didn't realize it was hardship. It was just a way of life. There was nobody had uh, very much money at all, and uh, everybody struggled. And uh, but there was something in the struggle that helped us. It strengthened us. It, it, we didn't sit around and whine about it. We got up and we went to work, and we worked from daylight till dark because it took that uh, for the extra things that you want. You just can't go out and work 20, 40 hours. The system will gobble that up before you even get home. It just takes that to break even with the board. If you, you're going to work on up 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 hours a week if you want to have extra things and nice things. Hallelujah. And, uh, but I ju we just learned to work. I, I told the story, and they asked me to repeat that uh, in, in, in College Station at the meeting about uh, my father and telling me the story of Abraham. And uh, they requested that I, I tell that story. But I told that. But at nine years old is when I heard that story, and I was out in a cotton field chopping cotton at nine years old. Well, that's child labor. Well, that's what society would like, and I, and I understand there is limits, but it don't hurt a kid to work at nine years old. It don't hurt a kid to take out the trash at nine years old. I'm 69 years old. 60 years later, I'm still taking out the trash. There's some things you don't get, a, get away from, and in most of it's doing what you're told. But if you don't learn to obey, and it's not instilled in you. But uh, uh, as parents, sometimes I feel like we drop the ball. And uh, in this, uh, go ahead and be seated. Let me talk a while, and I appreciate your standing in honor of the word. But I was in a, a man's office one day, and he said, Mr. Sampson, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to see the day that the tradesman can name his price. I mean, we were at the time we were struggling to get six cents a foot in drywall. Very competitive uh, to to even get that amount of money, and um, you had to be really good. You had to be really faithful. You had to really do what you told people that you would do to uh, keep your contractors and and and. Uh, uh, keep your work and, and for them to be faithful to you, you had to be faithful to them. And I feel like some of what we're going to talk about this morning plays an important factor in all of those things. But he said, you're going to see the day that you can name your price. And I thought, ain't no way, Mr. Harrington, that that will ever, ever come to pass. Well, I have lived to see the day that tradesmen can just about name their price. Instead of six cents a foot in the drywall contracting, they're 20 and 30 cents a foot just to hang the sheetrock, 60, 70, 80, 90 cents a foot uh, to finish drywall. And uh, I never thought in my lifetime that I would see uh, those kind of prices. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm 70 years old, but I could go out today, you know, and make a good living hanging, you know, hanging sheetrock and getting, getting a crew and putting that together. But I, I didn't think that that would happen. And he, but he began to define the reason, uh, Brother Ryan, uh, that this was going to happen. And he said, you see, Mr. Sampson, there is no father and son businesses. And, and honestly, look around. How many vans do you see in the day now, father and son plumbing and father and son construction? And uh, uh, all the parents are saying, 
Bless God, my child is not going to have to struggle like I struggled. And he's not going to have to work like I had to work. He's not going to go through the hardship that I had to go through. Well, so what happens? They send the, uh, the kids off to school and they, uh, they got degrees and, uh, and it looks like that AI will very soon be, be, begin to take, you know, all of those jobs away from a lot of those uh, areas. So they're, you're going to need to learn how to work. But through this, my child is not going to struggle. My child is not going to have to go through the hardship that I go through. Well, I went through all of that, and I don't feel like it hurt me to, uh, one bit. I feel like it helped make me, Brother Charlie, the man that I am today because I learned what hardship was. I learned to cope with it. I learned to make it through it. And uh, I was disciplined all the way through those uh, times in my life. And we, uh, our society today, we make a lot more money. We have a lot nicer things. But I also see that teen suicide is at an all-time high. I, uh, our, our, our penitentiaries are full. Our, our, uh, our juvenile delinquency, uh, uh, all of those centers in correctional uh, centers are all full of youth. We have broken homes. It's, and that's, uh, that it's unreal. And it, it's just, if you knew how many chill foster kids and uh, people that were raised in foster care that's in this church today, it, it's, it's, an, it's astonishing. And it's all simply, I feel like, because of what uh, I'm going to teach this morning, uh, that enforcing parental discipline. I feel like that in society, we as parents have failed not only ourselves, we failed our children. And we're really, in all honesty, we are failing God if we'll look at it from a biblical perspective. And uh, so 2 Samuel 2, and I'll start at the 22nd verse. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons done unto all Israel. See, it don't have to go very far till you see immorality and, and everything. It, it just immediately is breaking forth. He was very old, and he began to hear how his sons did, all, did unto all Israel. They wasn't particular. And how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. It went south very quick here, if you'll understand what I'm talking about. And he said unto them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my son, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. Not only was the ministry in transgression, but the ministry was causing the congregation to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who's going to hold us accountable as parents if we're failing in our God-given rights and insti divinely instituted into us? 
to take care of our children, to raise our children. Eli was failing. Why are you, why are you starting? I, I just want to show you the, uh, the repercussion of not enforcing parental discipline. Who's going to entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father because the Lord would slay them. It's not a time to pray for your child when he's going to prison. It's time to start praying for him and, and working toward his soul's salvation when he's a month old. At a year old. And there came a man of God. Don't even give his name. A man of God unto Eli and said unto him. Now this, this, this was before Samuel came along. And said unto him. Thus saith the Lord. Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt? In Pharaoh's house, and did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar, and to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And I, did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me? To make yourselves fat with the chieftains of all the offerings of Israel, my people. You're honoring your children above me. Sometimes we just got to bite the bullet as hard as it is. And man, we love our children and it's, it's our nature. And, and, and I, if we're going to be Christ-like, the Bible talks about it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom and the desires of our heart if it's according to his will. So it's that nature that's in us to give our children the very best uh, that we can give them, whether in finance or, or, or in earthly things or just uh, a lot of times in advice. But if we let them go to the place that they won't take advice, we got problems, we got trouble. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel said, I indeed... I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord said, be it far from me for them that, for them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And the Lord's going on to warn Eli, this priest of all places. The Bible said judgment starts where? In the house of God. I feel like in the house of God, judgment, if judgment was going to start anywhere in this house this morning, I feel like it would start in the Samson family. I feel like it would start right here. I'm held accountable. Sometimes you may say, I don't like what you preached, Elder. I don't like the way you presented it. And uh, sometimes I don't like the way I presented it. I talked about a couple weeks ago how that I... I had to preach something, and I, I felt like I got a little straight with it. I got a little raw with it, and uh, it, it burdened me for about two or three weeks. And I had a certain uh, individual or a certain family that was on, on my heart that I felt like that I had maybe offended. 
And uh, the word of God will bring offenses. That's the first thing that we have to understand. And we do have to stand for the word of God. But through through my bluntness maybe, and I, uh, I, I, I felt like maybe my deliverance was a little off from what it should have been, but I, I carried this burden that I offended and I wounded a baby. I don't want to abort our children before they're born. And when we come to the table to eat, I have to realize I have children in this place, the Bible talked about out of darkness into his marvelous light. And when you come from the world and you know nothing about God, you know nothing about maybe this, since we're Pentecost apostolic this morning, we'll just talk about this way. We got people that come in. I think Brother Sam was raised uh, a Baptist, if I believe, and uh, others Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, uh, whatever, and some just ranked sinners, never been to church uh, before in their life. Brother Tony Rosinski raised a, a Roman Catholic. Sister, uh, who are you today? <laughs> Sister Stephanie raised Catholic and come in. Man, this is a little different than what they've been raised in. And, 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 and when you're in the world and living like the world and doing what the world does, and then you come in uh, to this, this, this apostolic doctrine and you start uh, living the way the apostolic, the apostles preached years ago, there's a contrast there. There's things it's hard to digest. There's things that's not understood. And uh, uh, sometimes, you know, me being raised this way and uh, uh, a very conservative home, it, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter to me how hard you preach that because I understand it. I understand what it's coming from, where it's coming from and how to rightly divide the word of God. But Sister Stephanie come in, she didn't know about Daniel and the lion's den and Noah and the ark and David and Goliath, all of these things. And I would make the statement, though these are this is very elementary, but I, I'm gonna just hit it and go on. And she said, Brother Samson, that's not elementary to me. I've not ever heard these things. I, I come from the street. Street. I've not been sober for 19 years. I, I, I've been on the street for nine years, and I, I don't know anything about this. Well, me, I'm just taking it for granted that everybody's got this. So what are you trying to say? I, I don't take, if I went out there today and we went to the table and uh, I'm eating a big chunk of roast beef and I tell Brother Cameron, said, give me that baby. I'm going to put some meat on its bone, and I start trying to cram a piece of steak down its throat. We're going to have a controversy. And if somebody doesn't intervene through my ignorance, I'm fixing to choke a baby to death because I think he ought to be eating what I'm eating. And a lot of times people get glory out of somebody else being force-fed. For, Force-feeding is a very dangerous thing. I raise cattle. I have got calves uh, that they get to the place. I've went out on, on a stormy night. I found uh, calves uh, uh, that had been birthed during the storm, and it's usually uh, uh, when the full moon is, is coming in, if they're even close, uh, or there's a big storm front move in, if they're very close in their, uh, in, in their pregnancy, they will deliver in this type weather. But I, I've went out and I found them, and I found them, uh, they were so far gone that it was scary. I've took them 
them uh, into my home. I've put them in hot tubs of water to get the body temperature up. I've done everything, uh, uh, powerful medicine to uh, uh, work on their respiratory, doing everything that I could to get that calf to survive. But it couldn't get enough strength because it needed to nurse. It needed to uh, get nutrient. It needed electrolytes, dehydrated, and uh, uh, all of these things. So there's only one resort that you can go to, and you have to force feed this calf. And it's a big bottle, and it's got a long... A spout on it with a little ball knob on the end of it and you take that and there is an art to getting it down the throat but even veterinarians at different times have have made the mistake force feeding a, a calf and you go out in a little bit it's frothing at the mouth and it's drowned because the tube went down the lung instead of down uh, you know down the uh, the, the throat and so you force-fed this thing, do, intending to do good, but you've, you've, you've caused a death. And a lot of times, ministry, if they're not careful, they destroy, they, they bring death by trying to force-feed. It takes time. It'll be a long time before Brother Cameron's child is able to eat a big chunk of roast beef. It's going to be you know, milk and then some cereal and then, you know, and, and the appetite will increase and we have to, we have to adjust accordingly. But what, what I'm saying is we're going to be held responsible. I, what I'm trying to say is we can overcorrect. We have foster children in this is a congregation today because they're in the home that they're in now because of abuse. They don't do exactly what the parents said, so they, they start beating and slapping them, throwing them against the wall, kicking them through the wall, and those kind of things. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. We can discipline our children with love. My dad never, ever whipped me that he didn't get me in his arms when it was over and, and with tears running down his face telling me what it done to him to do that to me. But I was a stubborn individual. I needed every one that I got. I needed some that I didn't get and would have got more if I would have been caught at what I was doing. But I needed that. But my dad never done that without letting me know how much he loved me and he was doing that because he did love me. So back to the judgment starting the house of God. The biggest problem that we have is trying to convince me, trying to convince you that I want you to go to heaven as bad as I want to go to heaven. But if I'm made up with compromise, it won't be very long that we'll have a form of godliness, but we won't have any power. I like coming in and I like feeling the presence of God. I like a move of God. I like laying hands on people and praying for them and calling on the name of the Lord and the Lord uh, healing them and delivering them and raising uh, them up. I, I like doing that. But if we fail to discipline, if I fail to preach what this word of God says, uh, Brother Cotton, it, it, it's going it's, it's to be disastrous. 
We're going to wind up. We're going to have a big show. Yeah, we're going to we're going to have a uh, we're going to have a, a, a you know a good demonstration of music and uh, uh, you know showing forth expertise. But if there's no move of God, if there's no anointing, and I I pray constantly, Brother Matherly, that we can feel the Shekinah glory and God give us that anointing that breaks every yoke. But if we get to the place that the anointing of God can't move and it's not pleased to dwell in us, that's why I have to preach sometimes what I, what I, what I preach. We see here with Eli, even though he's been warned, and he said, this is what's coming, Eli, because of the thing that you've allowed. You wouldn't get a hold of your children. And he said, the day will come, I'm going to cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, and there shall not be an old man in thy house. They're going to be cut off in the flower of their age. I'd hate to think that I'd live such a life that my children are destroyed. My children have no anointing. My, my, my children don't have any dedication because of the things that I've allowed. The Bible said happy is the man that's not condemned in the thing that he allows. Yes. Hallelujah. I have acquaintances that one particular instance, him and their, his son both are going to prison. murdered a man come told his dad what he done they took him they hid him in a well but I look beyond that and I look I look beyond to the, the to the dad that couldn't couldn't receive correction when he was a child had the had had parents that were the salt of the earth I realized there is children that are going to be rebellious beyond our control. But when we're rebellious to God, we begin to forfeit a lot of benefits. And when your child is rebellious to you, he needs to suffer the effects of not getting to enjoy a lot of benefits. Now back in the day, they just picked you up, man. My dad was a strong man. He just picked you up and just hold you out there. He'd put the lash to you. I told you the other night about my mom and those Elm switches. Man, them things hurt. But I never spent one day in the penitentiary. I never went one time to reform school. Never spent no time in detention. Why? Because I felt like I had discipline at home. I was taught to respect law enforcement. I was taught uh, to respect the pastor. I was taught uh, to respect the school teacher. When you come home and they're whining, crying, screaming and bawling, well, I didn't get my way. And well, what'd the teacher say? Well, this is, she did this. Why'd she do it? Well, you know, you can concoct your own story, but when you go talk to the teacher, you find out usually that it's a whole different story. But my dad always upheld authority. And I feel like, Brother Matt, that's why today, that's where I'm at. Because my dad, he endorsed parental discipline. 
He enforced it. So Eli, even after he's being warned, it's going to cost you your family, it's going to cost you your children, you still see no reformation being made. And the man of thine whom I shall not cut off from thy altar shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thy heart and all the increase of thy house shall die. Here it is, in the flower of their age. How many want their children to marry? How many want their children to have grandchildren? Great-grandchildren? Man, I tell you what, I love grandchildren. I have the time of my life. Several times during the week, Brother Wood, I get a call. Papa, where you at? I'm in my shop, son, working. Where you at? You should be over here. I'll be up there in just a minute. And it won't be very long. Here he'll come. And, man, I enjoy that. Hallelujah. I love that. But, man, what would it be because of my transgression and my sin and the thing that I'm allowing that this is all cut off in the midst of its days? Oh, what a sad, sad person. And there will be a sign unto you that shall come upon thy two sons on Hophni and Phinehas, and one day they shall die, both of them. And I'll raise me up a faithful priest that will do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind, and I'll build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone is left in thy house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and shall say, put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest offices that I may eat a piece of bread. Just somebody that will sustain me, somebody that will support. What are you saying, Brother Sam? If you don't get a hold of your children and instill discipline into them, respect for ministry, respect for law enforcement, respect, uh, respect for uh, magistrates, you're going to spend most of your time bailing that boy out of school or out of jail. You're going to uh, put spend most of your money putting him through rehab. I have friends that spend $10,000 at a time only to have that child kicked out of, of rehab in just a couple days after he was there because he couldn't even get along with those that was in the rehab with him. Cast out. But I also can go back and remember the time when I've seen people go to parents and try to say, hey, now look, I observed your child the other day. This is what they were doing. I just want you to know. That's a lie. I don't believe that. My children wouldn't do that. My son won't lie. My daughter won't lie. I'll tell you something. You give that little brat a half a chance. What, Brother Nathaniel, what did you say a lie was? It was an abomination in the eyes of God and a very present help in the time of trouble. Now that's not biblical terms, but that, that's the way a child will use that. God's grieved at it, but they'll use that every time that they're in trouble. And they'll do it even sitting on the court till the last, till the last bit of evidence comes out and condemns them for they finally break down and go to crying 
over the sentence that they're about to receive. But Eli, even though it was going to cost him what it was going to cost him, we can go on into chapter 3 and we find Brother Monty Cotton nowhere did Eli other than just talk to him about what they done. Sometimes you got to do more than talk. I have another book in my library that talks about training up a child and how to spend some of your evenings training them to obey. You know, we can take horses and elephants and you know, you pass these Mennonites and they've got these, these horses will have a blind on them just to focus straight ahead. A lot of times we need to just get our children to understand you've got to focus on God. It doesn't matter what the world's doing, what's going on around you, what everybody else is doing. You've got to focus on one thing. You've got to focus on what's right. These Mennonites and uh, Triplet owned a uh, horse that the Mennonites owned and uh, I'm telling you something this horse could do about anything it could pull a buggy it could pull a sleigh it could pull a plow it could work cattle it was it was just an amazing amazing horse but there's a lot of training and you go over by Seymour today we just went through there the other day and you'll see buggy after buggy that's going all over the countryside and you got trucks weighing 80,000 pounds running 80 mile an hour beside them and they're just going down the highway uh, like nothing's going but there's a lot of training that's went in yeah. to that animal yeah. and they don't train it out there on the highway in the middle of a bunch of 80,000 pound uh, uh, semis weighing you know no telling what running up and down the road because that's the best way to have a buggy jumped out in the middle of the highway and a semi running over the top of it. But there is some training that's going home on the farm, out there in, in the lot, in the privacy of the farm. Uh, this horse is going through rigorous, strict training. So when it's took out into the public, it knows how to act. There's nothing that will disturb it. There's nothing uh, within reason that will not that will alarm this horse and jerk this whole family off into a disastrous uh, ending because of bad training. And it, the Bible talks about a child that's left to itself will what? Bring its parents shame. And uh, I had some family that the children had got older and the dad was losing his cool and grabbing him by the hair of the head and dragging him through the house and you know they got older and I mean he, he the old dad was getting rough on him but really at about six eight months old is when dad should have been got, getting rough but, you know we as grandparents and my son one night at home there was a little situation come up it was either brother Kaysen or Kobe and Brother Caleb just sat over there and watched me. And uh, I don't know, for some reason, this one time, I guess that's what saved my reputation, but I thought, buddy, you're, you're, boy, you're going to do exactly what I said. And I got up and I proceeded to make him do exactly what I was telling him to do. And uh, I just seen Caleb sitting over there looking at me. When I got done, he said, I was just wondering if it still mattered. 
I was still wondering if it took the same thing now as it did when I was a child. So see, I, I could have really, really messed up there, but I let them know, hey, it's still the same. There's nothing changed. Discipline still matters. And I know children, you know, especially in church, sometimes they can act up. But we as parents, we know when there's a distress signal. I mean, I can be in the house. I can hear Raquel outside. And I'll know when she's been hurt or I know when she's mad because Callan's not giving her turn on the tricycle or the, or the little electric tractor or something, you know. You can just kind, kind of tell the difference. But when you hear that blood-curdling scream, man, you know, hey, it's, there, it's in the wind. Something's going on. Everybody's running toward the door. Well, it's the same thing in church. If, if, this, if this child is not disciplined, and I know they're just like yesterday coming home. I, if I hadn't have been 69 years old, I'd have probably been carrying on just like the little baby that was in the back of the plane. We're sitting there and we're just sitting and sitting and uh, uh, just in little, little areas. And this child uh, was very uncomfortable. Well, they don't know how to say, look, I'm uncomfortable. Look, they don't know how to say that I'm, I'm hungry. I need something to drink. I've wet my pants. I've soiled my diaper. You know, they don't know how to say that. So crying is the only way that they can relate to us and we know by that that there's a discomfort but it doesn't take very long to learn are they uncomfortable is there something wrong are they just mad or they're wanting their way or they're wanting something that they can't have and we, we teach them that at a young age we enforce that Eli fails miserably with his family especially the magnitude of this transgression that's taken place. The Bible talks about that fornication shouldn't even be mentioned in our midst, much less the very act of it going on. It shouldn't even be talked about. It shouldn't be joked about. But it's going on, and, 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 and it's affecting the congregation and he just casually mentions it to his children. Hey, son, what are you doing? I'm hearing this. No doubt they probably tried to lie out of it. It's not a good thing that you're doing. But it doesn't stop. They should have been removed from office. And it's not very long as you go into the third and fourth chapters and you begin to find out the end results of this transgression that's taken place because of the failure to enforce parental discipline. What a price to pay for failing. There's not a retake in quizzing sometimes. We judge a child's character and we give them a chance to take it over, maybe having a little insight what's been going on at home and sickness and uh, hardship and having to go out, you know, and we'll, okay, look, we know what you've been going through. You can take this over. But if we, if, if we realize they have failed to just study and fail to apply themselves, the, the, the end result is you're just getting a bad grade and there's, no, there's, not, there's not a chance to make amends for this bad grade. 
What a terrible price to pay for failure. We don't get a second chance, Brother Ryan, at our children. One chance. One chance we get at our children. Now, love covers a multitude of evil or sin. Yeah. And thank God for that because, Brother Cotton, I needed the grace of God when I came to God. My transgressions were many. My carnality was second to none. I, I needed God in my life. And I'm thankful for the second chance. But we let a child develop a characteristic of disobedience. I have a granddaughter. If she doesn't get what she wants, it's instantly the most ear-piercing scream. The only one that can even come close to her is Remington, Brother Codrick's little boy. He's the only one. They're on the same uh, frequency almost the same brain frequency, but I think they are to that, but that their, their voice, the scream, you know, and sometimes they'll just, they'll just have screaming contest. But if she doesn't get her way, here comes this piercing scream. I told somebody, I said, if my hearing aids would pick up voices like it detects that scream from that child, man, I'd have, I'd have the best hearing in the world. But there's coming a time. Mom and dad's got to get a hold of that girl. She can't just scream and get her way the rest of her life. So they begin, you begin to enforce, you begin to take privileges away. There, there, has, there has to be punishment. Sometimes I, I, I done wrong. Uh, instead of just taking out the trash and making sure my room was clean, you get out there, boy, and you, I hated gardens growing up because that was always my punishment area, pulling those weeds in June, July, August out of that garden. Make you think, why did I do what I done? It wasn't worth what I'm having to go through. That's discipline. That's, that's teaching the child to obey because there's going to come a day. But Triple used to talk about the man that had the little... A uh, baby gorilla, and he, you know, it would jump on him and climb all over him and climb on stuff, and everybody would talk about how cute it was. And honestly, you know, I sometimes I get a kick out of watching a kid throw a good fit. I just, I do, I just, I just laugh, especially if it's not mine because I don't have to deal with it. But I, I just get a kick out of seeing that. But people would comment on it, on how how cute it was climbing all over him and jumping on his back and riding riding piggyback. But one day that gorilla weighed 900 pounds and jumped on his back and crushed him. A lot of times, if we talk about how cute all of this is and what this child is doing, this spirit of rebellion, this stubbornness, whatever it is, and it's, it's real cute for a while. But after a while, it becomes a 900-pound problem. After a while, it becomes a problem that'll crush you. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy your home, destroy your family. It'll destroy their selves. 
So wouldn't it be much better off at the young age, train him up? Does the Bible say train him up in the way he would go? Is that what it says? Yes. No, it does not say that. It don't say train him up in the way he would go. Because every child, our nature is wayward. The way we want to go, we want our own way. We want it when we want it, and we want it now. We want everything to go our way. That's the way we would go. But the Bible says in Proverbs, train him up in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Now, he may not be a Christian all of his life. But I can guarantee you one thing. He knows what he should be doing. He knows the house of God he should be going to. He knows how to treat people. He knows how to respect people. He knows how to be law-abiding because you have trained him in the way that he should go. Obey magistrates. That's why we have laws. I, I understand that we have way more laws than, than what we need. The Bible, I read the article on tell about there, I forgot how many thousand laws, ordinances that's in effect, all trying to enforce the Ten Commandments. If we just live by the Ten Commandments, if we just teach our children the ways of God and the way they should go, when they get old, they won't depart. They'll still be a gentleman. They'll still act like a lady. That's why we tell our young ladies, put your, put your legs down, sissy. Put your dress down. You have to start that at a young age. I've seen teenagers that still don't know how to conduct themselves. Be a gentleman, son. Act right. Have some respect. We got on the transit bus from the rental plaza to the airport and got on the tram or the transit bus and it was overly crowded, and uh, we put our luggage in the rack. I just grabbed a, a hand bar and was standing there, and Sister Samson was standing there, and there was a young uh, Mexican boy standing there. Him and his wife was sitting together. You know what he done? He got up, and he said, Here, ma'am, you take, you take my seat. You sit down here. And he stood up and, and grabbed a hold of the bar. And when we got off of the transit, my wife was very quick to, to act like a lady and, and give him condolences for giving her his seat that he had so she would be comfortable. He had some training somewhere in life. And if we don't instill those things in our children, they have to be taught. And if they don't see that around the home, you disrespect your wife, in front of your children, they're going to dis disrespect their mother. If the mother disrespects the father, you know what? That boy's going to grow up disrespecting women. I'm not moving real fast this morning, but I feel like this is things that we need to get a hold of. I taught at my first marriage seminar last year after 46 years of marriage. I said, I told Brother Betts, I said, man, Brother Betts, I've never, I've never taught a marriage seminar. I said, I've been married 46 years. I've never taught one. He said, well, that ought to qualify you. If you've been married 46 years, that ought to qualify. You ought to know something about teaching one. I said, well, I'll do it. 
So I went, and I, I didn't really know how to approach it, not ever teaching one, but I, uh, I, I began to study, and I began to look, and when I started that seminar, I didn't talk about it. I know they was, you know, waiting to hear, wives, submit yourself to your husband, and, you know, all of this male chauvinist and all that, but I, I didn't take that approach. Brother John Conley, I, I went in and I began to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. And I began to talk about charity suffereth long. Charity is kind. Charity vaunteth not itself. Charity seeketh not its own. So I said, I got down to, and then the very last day when I began to get into some of the little more rigorous part of the teaching I, I begin to tell when you tell your wife I love you when you look at Sister Elodia Brother Matt sometimes it's maybe hard to say that but when you look at her and say I love you vice versa <laughs> but what you're really saying Brother Samuels when you say Michelle I really love you I want you to know I love you what you're saying is charity, that's love. I'm going to be long-suffering with you. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm not going to get puffed up when I don't get my own way because charity don't seek its own way. It gives. And vice versa, when you turn and say the same thing to your spouse. I love you. I'm going to be in so many words. If you mean what you're saying, you're saying I'm going to be long-suffering. And I know it gets edgy. And, you know, just yesterday, you know, I don't know how much if you've ever flew very much, but they don't really just wait around on you when it comes time for departure. They'll take their own good time getting there, but when it's time you load, the door shut, it's over. You're through TSA even before that. And I found out, Brother Adam, I don't see him this morning, but I found out that they'll still take your knives from you. And one of my favorite little knives, one of the grandkids bought me. I had to, she said, now you can take it and back down with that mail it to yourself. I said, ma'am, you can just have it. She took it and throwed it in the trash and probably got it out after my flight left, but I don't know. But anyway, you still have laws, but... When I got through all, before getting to all of that, we pulled up and uh, we're several, uh, three or four miles from the rental plaza, which you take a transit, and then where we parked the truck was probably farther from here to the radio station across the street to where you go up the escalator and get on the transit and go to the airport. And I get out of the car. She said, just lay your keys on the dash. I laid my keys on the dash. I shut the front door of the, the rental. I turned around. I get the back door of the truck. It's locked. So I reach back to open the front door. And things is, it's been a rough week, very, very fast pace. And it's locked. And just as I've discovered my, both of my doors are locked, I look up. I see Sister Sampson getting the door to shut it. I said, cat, don't lock the door, don't shut the door. It's locked. Boom. So she pulls back. 
Well, it's not my fault. Don't blame me. Well, you know, things is tight and tense. I said, look, I seen real quick this could escalate. And I said, I'm not blaming you. I was just in urgency trying to let you know, don't shut that door. We're locked out. It's locked. It's the lady standing there. She go, man, that ain't supposed to do that. I said, well, it has. And all of my suitcases are in the back seat. So departure not all that far off. Luckily, we got there a little early. We had time. They came, got our car unlocked got it undone but sometimes in a moment of tenseness you're at each other before you even know it I know you're not guilty brother Tim but I'm talking about me and sister Sampson but uh, you know before you, before you realize you, I, I had to clear I, look I'm not blaming you I just this was a, a, a moment of urgency here you don't just stay quiet as a church mouse when there's urgency of kids getting ready to step out in front of a car. You, you, you do something to get their attention. And sometimes we raise our children through our discipline or maybe not to neglect to just handle the situation when it needs to be handled. How much better would it have been if, if Eli would have got a hold of this situation when he did? How much better would it have been David the Christian that he was, the, the king that he was, though his faults were many, his crimes, his sins were many, he was still a man after God's own heart. But you read through the Psalms many, many times, he's bringing himself under subjection to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because even he, him being a man after God's own heart, he had problems. He had to discipline himself. You can go to the Psalms. You, you can read this. A lot of times in his despair, a lot of times it wasn't his fault, but he knew who to go to. He knew who to seek out to get the help. But David had some disciplinary problems. He had sons committed treason. Uh, he, had, uh, he had sons uh, uh, that sought after, after, after many, many wives and women, which is a tradition of that day, but uh, their choice, a lot of times, his, Solomon's choice wasn't the best. And it finally led his heart off into idolatry. But David failed to discipline in some areas that he should have. But how much better would it have been if they would have just got the bull by the horns and took care of that situation? But sometimes we don't do that, and that's why our children wind up like they wind up and where they wind up, the conditions, situations that they get in because they wanted to do it their way, and they wouldn't discipline themselves. They wouldn't listen to nobody. We've seen that, and I can name numerous instances around the church that I've experienced over the years because people would not listen to the man of God, would not subject, uh, get under subjection to the man of God. Not, I don't, I feel like I'm this morning, I feel like I'm the farthest thing from a dictator that there could be. Probably too many times I'm a yes man. That, that's my nature. I love people. I like to see people happy. Above all, I want, I want to see people saved. 
that a lot of times if, if I'm not careful, out of, out of love, maybe I, I can get too lenient. Maybe I don't get a hold of a situation as quickly as I should have. But sometimes I have confidence in the teaching that that child was given at home that I can trust a little long-suffering in their situation because I know that I'm getting help from home. But in so many situations, I don't always get the backing in the home that I need. A lot of stuff could be handled from the pulpit if the training would go on at home like it should. There is an urgency of enforcing parental discipline. I'd grumble and gripe, and my dad say, no, we're going to go talk to the elder before we do anything, before you do anything. I didn't even, you know, and, and, and I know we're all grown responsible adults, and I got newcomers that'll, that'll, that'll leave, and before they do anything, they said, Brother Samson, we're not going to be at, we're not going to be at church tonight, such and such, such and such. And you know what? That relieves me. Have you ever been where you didn't know where your children were and you couldn't find them? Even before the days of, of cell phone. I remember one time I followed, I, I had two or three pups around the farm there and uh, they took off down through the field one day and old, old Kello just takes right after them at the tender age of about five, six years old. And we wind plumb off over a quarter of a mile from the house down by the Rio Grande River and I'm just following these dogs and they make a big circle and finally we, uh, I don't know, half mile and a half, two miles and I wasn't very old but I was just following them dogs and I come up and I'm coming through one of the fields there in that farming community and there's two neighbor ladies that's on a ditch bank and they're talking uh, uh, over the fence and I come walking up and they're looking at me and they're grinning and I, I just thinking about this the other day, and, and I realized why they were there. And they looked at me and they said, I think your mama would like to know where you're at. Well, they were all out looking for me, and I was just out wandering around behind the little animals, you know, down by the river and, and, and all around. And, and, and mom didn't know where I was at. She alerted the neighbors, and they were doing everything they could to find me because... I was capable of that age. I'm still capable of getting in trouble and getting in danger. But, uh, you know, they, they knew this boy needs to be found. But she was concerned because she didn't know where I was at. Man, where they're at, what's, what's going wrong, what's, what's wrong? I don't have to have that worry, Brother Plappert, if I just get a text. You don't have to call me, so you'll have to listen. The old timers, when you used to call in, Elder, I'm not going to be able to make it tonight. I'm sick. I got the flu. I'll tell you what you do, son. You get up and put your clothes on, come on to church, and we'll pray the prayer of faith, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Come on to church. We'll pray for you. That, that, well, that, was the, that, that was what you got when you called. And if you was too sick to come, you called for them, and they walked in. And Brother Monty Cotton, you could verify this. One of the first things to say, you got any sin in your life? 
Been watching any of them movies, boy, them Hollywood movies? Been listening to worldly music? No, sir. No, sir. And one of the last but sure questions they'd ask, have you been paying your tithes? Are you faithful in your giving to the church? If you passed all those three questions, it wasn't that 20 question game. They just come in and usually are you faithful in your tithes? Because when you're faithful in your tithes, you're usually faithful everywhere else in every other aspect. Yes, sir. Well, there ain't no reason why God won't heal you. And they'd pray for you. See, I'm not putting you through that. Just send a text, elder. Hey, man, I'm sick. I got this going on, that going on. Brother Matherly, he pastored for how many years? 20? 30. 30. Man, if he ain't going to make it to church, you don't have to say, I'm a minister myself. You don't have to do that. You know what he, he proves? Good stewardship. He preached accountability, I'm sure. I know his character enough to, that he preached accountability. But to be accountable, you yourself first have to be held accountable. Brother Matherly, no longer than he's been here. Hey, Elder, I've got a problem. I got, they're building a home and thing. You know how that is. And I've got, I've got to get this done for in the morning or I'm not going to be able to make it tonight. He preached faithfulness to prayer. He's one of the first ones, even though he's retired from uh, a pastoral ship, he's one of the first ones in the, in the prayer room. If he's not here, you know where he's at. You know why. Because that's the way he, he trained, and that's the way he was, he was trained, through this word of God. But if I know that, it's not that I have to know everything that you're doing, but I, it does relieve that. Have, I wonder if I've offended them. I, I, you know, I, I don't have to worry, hey, are they getting ready to, to quit? Or are they giving up? Or, 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 or what's happening? It just, just that one little text to say we won't be able to make it tonight. It takes away all of that worry. Where's my child at? Did I force feed the baby? Can it, is it, you know, there's so many, so many things. But the judgment starts right here. And if, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, you know where the judgment moves to? It just keeps spreading because it starts at the house of God. When the children of Israel was going through one of their states of rebellion... They angered God. God didn't take it out on all the surrounding cultures that was around them, the Hittites, Moabites, Jebusites, all of them. He didn't take it out on them. You know where the judgment started? Right in the congregation. And the command was given very quickly, run, put the incense on the altar. Get the attention of God. What are you trying to do this morning, Brother Samson? I'm trying to retain the favor of God in an apostolic congregation this morning. And the command was given, run, make atonement, put put the incense on the altar. Let's make an atonement for the sin. And the Bible said he ran and put 
the incense on the altar. All of this while the command could be given and while the altar worker could run and make the atonement, over 70,000 fell in that short period of time from the plague when it hit the congregation of the righteous because it started at the house of God. But what, what let it get in? What let it happen? I know this is slow this morning, but God help me to get our attention. We've got, we've got to get a hold of our children. We've got to do it. We can't wait till they're 19 or 20 to drag them around by the hair of the head and try to beat the hide off of their back. It's not gonna do any good at that point because it's past uh, uh, that divinely instituted uh, uh, space of time that we've got. Well, I'm doing the work for God. I know evangelists that don't have one child living for God today. And some were some of the greatest evangelists that walked. One comes to mind, one of the greatest prayer warriors in Pentecost. Children in false doctrine today. It takes more than just prayer. It takes more than just preaching. It takes training. Proverbs said, train them up. It's a dangerous thing to bring your child and dedicate it to God. I've dedicated children that I ain't seen in the, in the sanctuary five times since I dedicated them. That's a dangerous situation. It's better that you should never vow as you should vow and then break it. You dedicate that child to God, I want to tell you something. You better do everything in your power from that point on. It's not about your wants, not about your desires, not what you want to do, but it's everything about raising that child in the nurture and the admonition and the fear of God. Everything that I can find in this word of God, I want to obey it. Trust me, I have that wayward. Our ways are not God's ways. His ways are higher than our ways because they're not our ways. These children the most important thing in our life. I didn't just pick that, Sister Leslie, because it's your first privilege to be back in a month with your, with your newborn child, but I can promise if you will apply that, it will save us. But these evangelists that neglected their own family trying to save the entire world, the Bible said if you gain the whole world and lose your soul. What have you profited? What have you gained? What have you gained if, in trying to save everybody else? I love each and every one of you. Your children, a lot of them call me uh, Papa and Grandpa and uh, uh, very reverent to me and they, they look at me as an uh, a, a, a idle figure in their life. 
And I don't want to do anything to destroy that. I, I don't want to do anything that would ever hinder them and cause them to be discouraged. There's got to be wisdom employed with your children. The Bible said if you cause one of them to be discouraged, I've seen children beat so bad they hated the church, hated their family and everybody because of the way they were beat get down and, and on the ground and beat and stomp. There's nothing wrong with after you discipline that child. My old daddy at 87, I, I, he's been gone about 10 years now, but I'm going to tell you something. When he could still find me at the altar when he was blind, if I was down somewhere praying, I still remember uh, the smell of his Cologne. I still remember him nuzzling uh, into the tender part of my neck and me in my uh, 50, 60, uh, 50s uh, and late 50s. I, I still remember him telling me uh, how much he loved me and he showed me through discipline when I was growing up uh, that he loved me and he never failed to tell me that he loved me. You don't have to beat your child till he hates you there's a way to discipline, but you let that child continually know, I love you, I love you, but I can't allow you to do what you're doing. There's a way to discipline. There's a way to teach respect. You teach that child, you destroy everything the preacher talks about. When you get home, you get in the car on the way home, and you start critiquing that sermon, taking the pen knife and cutting out of it what you didn't like, what didn't suit your fancy. I want to tell you something. That little child's sitting there like a radar. He'll never forget it. Nine and ten years old, I remember riding home from church with some neighbors. We were going to their uh, uh, home after, after church. And I remember those two men in that car and they dissected Brother Triplett all the way to their house yes, sir. and I was in the back seat and I heard that at nine, ten years old I never ever forgot I can tell you almost word for word what they said today in that home those, those children None of them go to church, either one of those men. And when they do come, they can't really receive what's preached. And they were, they were raised in this apostolic doctrine. But the ministry was destroyed. I want to tell you something. When Herod, you ever notice... When Herod questioned the Lord, does the Bible not say he never answered him a word? Never answered him. Because Herod had already cut the head off of the voice of God in his life. John the Baptist reprimanded him. He said, it's not lawful for you to do and have what you're doing in heaven. It's not lawful. Biblically, you can't do what you've done. 
Is it Herodias? daughter pleased the king and said I'll give you anything you ask for this is not in notes this morning but it's pretty ironic the thing that she wanted to silence the mom told the daughter the parent seemed the chance to silence the man of God She said, give me, he said, I'll give you anything you ask up to half of the kingdom. Who in their right mind would have not wanted, the most logical thing to ask for would have been salvation and, uh, uh, you know, wisdom. But, I mean, at least ask for a nice home, no taxes the rest of your life, and Man, I could think of a lot of things that I could ask for this morning. I was given the privilege. But thank God for my raising, Brother Voistel, the, the last thing, it would even enter my mind to ask for the voice of the ministry in my life to be cut off. And that's what, exactly what she asked for under the instruction and the influence, parental influence, was stopping the voice of the man of God. When God came forth, Jesus Christ came forth, wouldn't even answer. He didn't deserve an answer because he had done cut the voice of God out of his life. And when you do your children this way, and you critique the ministry, and you, you cut out and run down everything that I just don't believe, it. I don't think we have to do that. Parent, get a hold of yourself. Understand what you're doing. And you may survive for years with that, but that child is not going to grow up and survive society with that mentality. Why are we at where we're at today? We'll go back. We let one ignorant woman that was an atheist take prayer out of our school. It wasn't satisfied with that. They wasn't satisfied until they took the Bible out of the school. That's what the first school uh, was, was together for. That's, that's the only book they had. They learned the ways of God and the laws of God. And when you take those biblical standards and laws out of a child's life, I can present you today the society and the culture that we have because this word of God has been silenced in their life. to the place they don't even know what they are. They don't know what they want to be. I'm telling you, when I was 15, 16 years old, I never saw that, I never saw, never dreamed I'd see a man that wanted to be a woman or a woman that wanted to be a man. I got close friends today that have children like that. In our schools, we have litter boxes it ain't whether they don't know if they want to be male or female they want to be a cat and the school has to provide them a litter box because they think they're a cat now I play with my grandchildren you know and sometimes they'll come meowing and barking and licking your hand and you'll play around with them 
But I want to tell you something. That mess ain't going to go on very long. And, and old Pawpaw's going to be getting a hold on that. You're going to know what you are. Why? Because that's what I read in this word of God. This is what I understand in this word of God. But if I fail to enforce that discipline, even though I am a grandparent, I don't need to be running up and down the road and traveling and staying in resorts and, and cruising while my grandkids is growing up in a culture while mom and dad is trying to work themselves to death. They try to even make ends meet. We need some grandparents with some old-time alum switches and a good belt getting them grandkids and instilling a little bit of, of what needs to be instilled in them. Oh, I know this is not real popular and it's not real, real exciting this morning, but I want to tell you something. If you'll apply it, you can live a, be a ripe old age and enjoy uh, grandkids coming, raising up around you. I'm not the smartest man in the world and I've not been you know, evangelized worldwide and not the great, big, uh, best or greatest preacher out there, but I want to tell you something. All of my children are living for God. All of my children are in ministry. My daughter's in Sunday school. My son was over the, the son-in-law was over the uh, uh, Sunday school department and uh, uh, over, the, over the music and in the sound booth and working, uh, uh, working for God. What more could I ask for? I don't want them to be, care if they're governors or lawyers. I just want them uh, to live for God and they are living for God and they're dedicated to God and God has Bless them accordingly. He'll give you the desires of your heart according to his riches in glory. He said, I would you would be in health and prosper. Oh, everybody wants to preach the prosperity message, but let's, let's bring this whole thing in pers to perspective. As your soul prospers. And we, we need to raise our children in the fear and the admonition of God. Not giving them everything they want. Not letting them have their way every time they want it because we're afraid that they're, we're going to offend them. Well, you don't know what it's like. Oh, yes, I do know what it's like. My children didn't have wings, I can tell you that. And I never did see a halo around any of them's head. And if I ever had it, I'd have, I would have looked a lot more closely because I knew it didn't deserve to be there. But they're children. And that's why children have parents. And that's why parents enforce and endorse parental discipline. God sent this unnamed man. He said, man, Eli, get a, get a hole. What are you doing? What are you allowing? And I know when you get older, you're not as adamant maybe as you one time were. But in living for God, Brother Cooper, I, I, I still have the responsibility to name sin when I, need, when I see sin. And to preach on something like enforcing parental discipline when I see the need for it. Sometimes we don't, we, we want to hear health and we want to hear prosperity and uh, we, wanna, we, we want to, you know, con, you know, just 
concentrate on how many we can get baptized. If you read about Abraham and Sarah, she wasn't delighted, she wasn't rejoicing that she could have a child past the flower of her age. You know what she was thankful for and rejoicing over and thankful for? That she could nurture the child, that she could nurse the child. 90-some years old, that's a miracle in itself. That's something to get excited about. It, but it wasn't so much that I could have the child, but that I could nurture the child. It's my responsibility. In other words, after I've had it, I've got to raise this child. You know why our foster care today is the way it is? Because parents don't want to be inconvenienced. Talking to a minister yesterday in his 60s, they were piddling around and entered their DNA into in a DNA database. And boy, they was just happy and families was popping up and relatives, yeah, I know them, I know them, I know them. And all of a sudden at the very end, another DNA map pops up. Huh, who's this? Never heard of this one. So they begin to check the DNA and my minister friend had a sister that he'd never met but this DNA pops up so they get in contact with her and they pinpoint it down yeah it's true this is who it is she's uh, born in Colorado the rest of the kids raised in Colorado western Kansas this girl's plumb off in Massachusetts I believe it was Boston, Massachusetts. Anyway, they call and they contact. From infancy, she went into custody of the welfare system. Finally, at, was it nine months old? I think she was adopted and has had, had a good life. What are you saying, Brother Samson? From birth to have a baby and to walk off. Now it's fairly decent if they're gonna walk off that they leave it in care of the welfare system. But how many do we read about where they throw them in a plastic bag, throw them in a ditch, and throw them in a dumpster? See, somebody was 30 or 40 years behind on parental discipline when this took place because if she had had a mom and dad like she ought have had. She wouldn't have walked out of that hospital. I got a message in my library about natural affection. And that's the day we're living in. The Bible talks about, and I don't want to chase a rabbit here and ruin a, ruin a good message, but without natural affection, you got to teach your child how to love, you got to teach them how to care, you got to teach them how to obey. Or this is what you're going to have. So it's not that I had a child, it's that I can provide for this child. I can raise this child. I can nurture this child. Not only in the natural, but in the fear and the admonition of God. Enforcing parental discipline. 
Nobody wants to be inconvenienced anymore. I'm 69 years old. I don't like inconvenience. I don't like the hustle and bustle of airports and transport and uh, transit and all of that. I, I, I don't care for that. I'd rather just get in the comfort of my car and just drive down the road in, 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 in comfort. I don't, I don't like inconvenience. I didn't like it this morning when the electric went off and I had my hunting or my work headlamp on studying my, my Bible sitting in my office. I didn't like that. I was glad when the sun got bright enough I could open the shutter behind my desk and it would give me a little light. I was getting a signal from the old church that tells me when things were going wrong and I, don't, I guess I'm still on that and uh, told me the electric was off. I was going to head for the church where there was some electric and then told me it was off and I sat around pretty soon. Brother Zach, we're talking and he said, yeah, there's electric at the church. So, man, I head for the church. Why? We had lights. We had water. It was comfort. I didn't like the inconvenience that I was going through. But what so many times... We're the same way. That's why our child don't want to take out the trash because he's on his iPad or his iPhone playing some whackbird game and he don't want to have to take time to take out the trash. And he'll never clean his room unless you teach him to clean that room. He'll grow up and live in clutter and filth, dig through the dirty clothes to find his cleanest dirty shirt because they don't care. They don't even care if there's a washing machine. They don't care if there's a dishwasher. Well, back in my days, me and Brother Randy and Terry and Jimmy, we was the dishwashers. You boys get up there and wash them dishes. Well, I ain't making a sissy out of my boy. Well, get a hold of me after church. I've washed many a sink full of dishes. You see if I'm a sissy. But I was taught to work. I was taught to obey. I was taught to do what I was told to do. And that's what makes a true saint of God today. I'd like to get on into the finance. I'm not near done with this this morning. I may have to take another hitch at it, but I'm going to hit this a lick. We're raising a generation that won't support the church because they've never learned responsibility at home. I paid my mom when I got out of school and started working. I paid my mom and dad room and board. Sarah, bless God, they had me. They can support me. They taught me how to expense. If you, your child's working, you ought to be teaching him how to save a little money. It's not how much you make. It's how much you save. What would you do with what you make? This all comes into parental discipline. And I don't have time to deal with it. I think the children are already out there wanting to come in this morning, but I'm telling you something. When my grandkids come up here and they hold the birthday sack, you're going to think I'm a mean, crazy old man. But when I'll be standing here, and I don't need their money, but when they go back there, I said, you get back there and figure up your tithes and offerings, what you owe out of that boy. 
won't be very long, they'll be coming around. And I got envelopes, some of their first tie that they pay me, and someday I'll give that back to them probably and put it. It's not that I need their money. I got some envelopes up there, usually when a child pays his first tie. If I can remember, I'll put it up and just put it on my shelf and, and leave it there and look at it because that reminds me, hey, this child, he's going to be all right. Mom and dad's putting it in him. There's going to be able to be a church after Brother Samson is gone because these children have learned how to support the house of God and support the ministry that God's put over them. They, they're learning how to do that. And if, if you don't teach them how to pay tithes and offering, half shekel, if the, after the order of the tabernacle, if you don't teach them those things, there won't be a ministry. There won't be a church here. People, the only reason this church is here today because people had a will to work and they had a love for truth and a love for the word of God and they learned how to give and support. You've got to teach that child that he can't live among his means. If your car payments and your house payments and all your luxuries are eating up all of your paycheck that you can't give to God, what's required of God, you're living above your means. And if you're so busy that you can't be faithful to the house of God, you're way busier than God ever intended for you to be. And you'll instill all of that into your children. And while you're worried about luxury, your child's on his way to hell. That's, that's pretty plain this morning, but you better get a grip on them while you can get a grip on them. Detention center is not the time to do it. Talking to them on the, on, on the little phone or through the little mouthpiece and a piece of glass about this thick in a penitentiary somewhere is not the time to try to get their attention. There's an urgency of teaching that child, just like there's an urgency when the Amish and Mennonite teach that horse obedience. You can't have your way. I saw a man at Silver Dollar City one time riding a longhorn bull. His horns were way farther than I could. This thing was a monster-looking bull. And this man had a saddle and a bridle on him, Brother uh, Tony, and was riding this thing in an arena right up about, I would think I had a front row seat, and he was about from here to me, just one big hop out of that arena, and Fat Boy would have been in trouble. And he's sitting on that bull, teaching about bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and not my will but thy will be. It was kind of a cowboy church setting thing going on there. But he talked about the first thing I had to learn this bull to do was to trust me and to conform to what I wanted him to conform to. It's not by restraint that I have him here today. He, he was relaxed that bull was just standing there because he had been trained to do that. He had been trained to the ways of the trainer. 
He had to forsake his old gouging, bucking, kicking, stomping uh, mentality that's in, that's in these bulls if you've ever witnessed any bull riding. But something, there was a transformation that had to take place. And God's given us these children this morning. They're our responsibility. None of us were innocent growing up, but I can guarantee you I wasn't. But I want to tell you something. We have responsibility today. We got children that's growing up in the house of God. We got young converts that need discipleship. We're still having our own battles. The Bible said when you should be teachers, you have need that someone teach you again. Someone else teaching, teaching, teaching when you ought to be bringing new converts in and discipling uh, them in and not force feeding them and raising them in the, in, in the fear and the admonition of God. Sister uh, Stephanie sitting here this morning could probably take any uh, thing as long as it's truth that you could throw at her. But there was a time that she didn't understand. She'd come out of darkness uh, and she was overwhelmed by the brightness uh, of this different lifestyle that everyone around her was living. But slowly, slowly started out with what? children's Bible stories and up today you can take about anything out of the word of God that you throw at them but getting to that point oh God I see people that's not had the chance to raise uh, their children from foolish decisions seen a boy one time had his son he was scarred from elbow to appetite holding him in his arms or he had rode a four-wheeler like a maniac, left the trail, hit a tree. It was, it was horrible. This kid was skin all over. And he's holding him in his arms, talking about, oh, my son, look what I've done to my son. But he got his own son into that situation. Seeing people that's never had the opportunity to raise their children. There's no second chances. Brother Winkler just experienced the, that horrifying, horrifying reality. There, we don't get a second chance. We got to make happen what needs to happen in the time that we are allotted to make it happen. God, thank God for our children today, but God, give us the wisdom, give us the mentality to help raise our children and help our children raise their children and bring those children to the house of God. You know why Brother Samson's standing here this morning when other people was taking the Samson kids to church, my dad shook himself in that old wild, sinful world that he was living in and realized, hey, it's not right that somebody else take our kids to church. And my dad quit his drinking, his carousing, his smoking, his nightclub singing, laid the old guitar down, picked it up and started playing for Christ and raising his children. That's why that I'm here today because somebody cared for somebody else's children, somebody else. Sister Irene Riggs thought more of the Samson kids and their salvation than my own dad did. But it awakened him and caused him to realize my children are a responsibility. 
They're not somebody else's responsibility. We got precious kids today, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to have them in this church. But how much happier could they be if their own parents had them in the church and raising them in the fear and the admonition of God? I know we don't like to cramp our children's style, but sometimes if they're under our household, when my children got older, especially one of them, especially if you're going to stay here, boy, you're going to do like I say. That's the rules of this house. They've been that way plumb up to your 17 or 18. And if you're going to stay here, this is still the rules of the house. got to enforce it. I'm afraid I'll lose them. No, you're going to lose them anyway. And if they're of any significant age at all today, you've already lost them. They're already gone. They're just waiting for a chance to get out of the house of God. Get away from all the rules. Get away from all the regulations. Get out where I can be whatever I want to be. And they're not capable of making that decision. Botox surgeries and sex change surgeries are at an all-time high and climbing every day because children don't have the ability to make those kind of decisions. Research says they're, I think, what is it, 33 or 4 years old before they're really fully capable of making logical decisions. I'm 69 almost, and I still make a few, few foolish decisions. Take me back 50, 60 years ago, I was a total idiot. That's why we have parents to raise and enforce the laws of God in their heart. Stand to your feet this morning. God, I'd rather preach prosperity and all that kind of stuff, but before we can prosper, we got to get on track. We got to learn our responsibility. I got to take these kids and Jesus raise them in the house of God. For whatever's wrong in your life, Jesus.